I think the best part of that experience was when the waitress yes. came by yes. and she said, mm, you guys got some nice stuff. Probably going to get robbed. <laughs> yes. And all you guys saw was my hand slip through. I'm risk management. Yeah. And just slipped through my purse and put it up to my shoulder. It was like, how long are we staying here? <laughs> Not to mention that to me, that food Great. <laughs> Welcome to the Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian podcast with your host, Freet Banerjee. Welcome to Mostly Money. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. And on the show today, I have the author of the new book, Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. If only I had examples of crises to discuss today. Now, as usual, before I talk to this episode's guests, thank you again to the listeners who've left star ratings on iTunes. A special thanks this week to Listening and Enjoying, Beverly Street, Bobbin Merchant, Kumarar? I don't know how to pronounce that. 587YYC, I think that's a license plate, and Jessilwa, I think. All of whom who left comments in addition to star ratings. And just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, I really do appreciate you taking five seconds to leave a rating on iTunes. And if you want to take the additional time to write in a comment on top of that, I do read them all. And now, without further ado, on to today's guest. Melissa Agnes is the author of Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World. And she is a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. Melissa is a coveted speaker, and uh, I have seen her speak. You are absolutely fantastic. I'm a big fan of yours, by the way. A commentator and advisor to some of, the, some of today's leading organizations facing the greatest risks. As a strategic advisor and keynote speaker, Melissa has worked with NATO, ministries of foreign affairs and defense, financial firms, technology companies, healthcare organizations, cities and municipalities, law enforcement agencies, global nonprofits, and many others, helping them understand risk and build invincible brands that can withstand even the most devastating of events. Melissa. Welcome to the show. Hey, Preet. Thanks for having me. I am so excited that you agreed to be on this crappy little podcast of mine. Uh, now, my first question to you, before we really get started, do you consider the great Philadelphia cheesesteak outing of 2017 <laughs> to have been a crisis or merely a predicament? It was an adventure. <laughs> it was certainly an adventure. So for the listeners, um, to let you in on a little joke, uh, why don't you explain um, that night? Uh, so we were in Philadelphia for uh, a get-together, and we uh, I had gathered a few people to go out to get some Philly cheesesteaks. So why don't you walk us through <laughs> that experience? Because it was it memorable. It sounds so pretentious. Um, so let's also paint the picture of... I was dressed in a <laughs> business dress, let's call it, like a, you know, I don't know, conservative yeah. dress with my blonde hair. And um, there were four of us and you guys, I had no idea where we were going, but we went to a very local joint <laughs> in local Philadelphia. Yes. Um, to the point that I remember smiling at some lovely ladies and just kind of walking away. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I don't think they took my smile the way I intended it. Well, I think the best part of that experience was when the waitress yes. came by yes. and she said, mm, you guys got some nice stuff. Probably going to get robbed. <laughs> yes. And all you guys saw was my hand slip through. I'm risk management. Yeah. And just slip through my purse and put it up to my shoulder. It was like, how long are we staying here? Not to mention that to me, that food not really great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're not a fan of Philadelphia cheesesteaks. Duly noted. Um, okay. So before we really get into the idea of crisis readiness and how that's different from crisis management, yes. let's talk about you. Um, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, probably not. Um, but generally what I do is with every guest, I'd like to learn a little bit about how their path unfolded, you know, starting from, you know, what they studied in college or university and how you ended up down this path to being an internationally recognized consultant on crisis readiness and preparedness for global firms. So, yes, I have listened to your podcast, (laughs) by the way. Of course I have. Um, So I've been an entrepreneur since I was, well, for the last 11 years, this will be 11 years. So I was 21 when I started. And at the time I started in, I was doing photo montages for senior people, losing money for every prof, every, <laughs> you know, sale I made, um, which is kind of embarrassing, but it led to where I am today. So what, what is a senior montage? Is that like uh, well, Insta people, stories back in the day? Yeah, but printed and framed. Oh. So took their pictures and put them into a montage virtual, like with Photoshop okay, and kind of brought out what they wanted me to bring out and had them laminated and framed. And like I said, lost money on every single sale. (laughs) Um, That morphed into web design and brand strategy. It at the time when social media was starting to be used, when brands were starting to wake up and say, Hey, we could use this for marketing. And, um, so that's what we were doing. We being my partner at the time. And I have one thing about me is that I have a mind. I always have, I see risk everywhere. That's kind of the way that my mind works, but it's not a risk of, I'm going to go hide under my bed and not come out at at all. It's more about here's a risk. There's the risk. How do I mitigate it? And what's the opportunity in it? That's kind of the, 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 if I were to make it linear, that's what it would look like. So I remember reading articles one day, like I did all the time about social media and brand management or not brand management, but brands using social. And I remember the light bulb just flicking and going off. And I went, holy, what about the risk? Why is nobody talking about the risk, what it means to brands, its potential, but the opportunity also that lies within that risk. Right. And that was a moment where I had no idea what crisis management was. I had no idea it was a thing. But for the next year, I spent, I devoured everything that I could on the subject. It was like my passion project, my passion read, my passion education. Um, and then about a year later, I had, so in one of my only local clients was a real estate investment trust. And the, the VP of the company one very early one morning calls in a panic saying that the president of the company is in the car with a prospective investor. The radio is reporting that one of their buildings is about to explode. Apparently this rumor started on Twitter. I don't know what the hell Twitter is, but they heard it's a digital (laughs) thing. And since we just launched their website, they thought we could help. So 
I went in within 30 minutes. I had the media correcting themselves. I had, you know, investors at the time were definitely not going to Twitter, but everything was happening on Twitter. So we had them up on Twitter because they weren't on Twitter before that. Twitter streamlining to their website, which is where investors were going. Anyways, long story short, the next day, the president of the company calls me and says, not only did our unit price not go down since yesterday, but it actually went up a cent. So thank you. Wow. So that was kind of the catalyst of, or the epiphany of, you know, not only am I impassioned by this and do people need it, but I'm pretty damn good at it. So I turned to my partner and I said, you know, we're not really having fun with the other stuff anymore. There's something here. Let's do this. And he said, okay, let's jump. So we finished up our clients, whatever projects we had in the works from the other work that we were doing. And young entrepreneur didn't have any marketing budget. So I decided to launch a blog and I blogged five days a week for several years and I was the first person globally to start kind of bringing all of this to light and putting my thoughts out and methodology and um, strategy and right place, right time. So these longstanding crisis management professionals who were nearing retirement basically found me, liked what I had to say, and approached me saying, pretty much all of them saying, you know, we're not sure if this whole social thing is a fad or a trend <laughs> or where if, you know, if it's going to stay, we're nearing retirement, we don't necessarily want to learn about it, but we are smart enough to know that our clients need your type of services now, can we partner? So right place, right time, I got these brilliant mentors that opened up their amazing client lists to me and showed me the ropes and kind of just built it up from there. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you how you sort of started, uh, in the industry and ended up where you are today, you know, dealing with global brands and traveling around the world and, and working with them. And I was going to ask if it was because they came to you after a crisis happened, right? And they say, all right, now what do we do the next time? Um, but do brands and companies have foresight or is that normally the, the case where do. the smart ones the do? The smart ones do. And I'm not, so as an entrepreneur, I'm really not a good salesperson. I'm not there to sell anybody that they need my services. I kind of, I make my thoughts and reality and methodology and ideology, everything's available online. I'm, I'm, I've always been very, um, well, that's how I started, right? Was marketing myself that way. Um, content marketing. So People, the right people find me whenever it's the right time for them. And if we align there, then then we are a good fit. This is going to seem like a very uh, trivial question, but is there a definition of crisis? That- That's not trivial. That's oh, no? so important. Oh, uh- and so many organizations don't get it. So it's So yes, there is a definition of crisis and it's really important for your organization to know what a crisis is for your organization because a crisis for one organization does not equal a crisis necessarily for another. And it's also really easy in this day and age to have a negative event go viral and so an issue to go viral and to misinterpret that or miscategorize it as a crisis when virality is not the indicator of a crisis that is not you can have issues that go crisis that go viral that don't amount to crisis level right so crisis is a negative event or situation that stops business as usual to some extent okay by leadership So it stops business as usual because it needs to be escalated to leadership because it requires their attention, their guidance, their directives. Reason being that the event threatens long-term, and that's the underscore there, is long-term negative impact on one or all of the following five things. People, so stakeholders, the environment, business operations, the organization's reputation, and or the organization's bottom line. An issue on the other hand, is a negative event that doesn't stop business as usual because it doesn't require escalation to straight up to leadership. It's basically, 
an organization's or a department's roles and responsibilities on hyperdrive. And the reason being that it does not threaten long-term negative impact on people, environment, business operations, reputation, and or bottom line. So it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of companies out there, you said the smart ones have crisis preparedness plans in place. If you were to say out of, I don't know, Fortune 500 companies or a percentage of companies out there in your experience, how many companies have proper crisis preparedness? Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. And not enough to, so it used to be, and I don't use the term plan at all because it used to be, or, and it still is, and this is a part of the problem that organizations would develop crisis management plans and they would you know, be developed in a very siloed fashion. So comms or PR or leader members of the leadership would be tasked with creating this plan. Mm-hmm. This plan is very thick. It's a thick binder that's collecting dust in a file or on a shelf somewhere, whether elect- digitally or in person, like in real. Um, and somehow that gives organizations solace knowing that in the event of a crisis, they could reach for that plan and then follow it and guide them through to crisis management success. But the reality today is that by the time you reach for that plan, you're already miles behind. Mm-hmm. Story's already miles ahead of you. You're already playing catch up. There's already speculation circulating. There's already demands and expectations of stakeholders that are funneling in. Um, so relying on that plan, planning is essential, but relying on a plan right. puts you at a disadvantage. So is it more like um, a, a company or brand needs like some kind of culture where so, they- So yeah. Okay. So it's crisis ready. So to me, what crisis ready means is that your entire team, because you don't know where, who's going to be the first to detect a negative event, where it's going to stem from. So every single member of the organization understands what risk looks like. So what's the difference between an issue and a crisis for the organization? How to assess the material long-term impact of that risk or the risk of the material long-term impact? And then what to do with it. And what to do with it, meaning does it require escalation? Whom does it get escalated to? What does that process look like? And if it doesn't require escalation because it it's landed in the hands of those who need to manage it, how can you instinctively, reflexively manage the incident in a way that actually increases stakeholder trust and credibility and goodwill in the brand? That is being crisis ready. So the plan is like a security blanket. The program is embedded into the culture of the organization. Right. Cause it's not like a fire drill where you can practice for a fire in a building and you've got this static procedure of what to do no. because you can't really define even what a crisis would look like in the same way that you can sort of contextualize. Well, this is what we do in response to a physical fire or something like that. Now let's talk about a crisis that's in the news. Uh, Facebook. Any thoughts on that? (laughs) (laughs) Where to begin? Yeah, where to begin indeed. That one's interesting. It's really interesting because it was an issue that they tried from my perspective, and I haven't worked with Facebook on it, they tried to sweep under the rug and they hoped wouldn't come back and bite them. And it's come back and bit them in a way that has significant, so talk about potential long-term impact. I mean, Zuckerberg tomorrow, I believe today or tomorrow, he's going to be in speaking to Congress. Um, their market capitalization dropped by $43 billion within 
a few days of, of the story coming out. So there's something called the crisis, well, what I call the crisis response penalty. And that is that the longer you take to respond effectively, underscore and effectively to a crisis, the more crisis response penalty you will suffer. Mm -hmm. So Zuckerberg took about five days to come out. And if you look at the criticism that ensued for those five days, it was all about what are they doing? What's Facebook doing? So they lost credibility every single minute, every single hour of those five days. And as a result, we look at their market capitalization drop. We look at Congress, you know, what they're saying. We look at there, I think there's now five lawsuits, a few of them, a few of which are class action lawsuits against mm-hmm. Facebook. So this is significant, a significant crisis. And why it's interesting is kind of twofold. One, it was an issue that should have hindsight is twenty twenty, but people privacy of data and the fact that the average person on Facebook has no understanding of what that even looks like. There's this illusion of safety and security and um, confidentiality, which does not exist. Mm-hmm. That is a risk. And that is a risk that I've watched for years. Um, so Facebook should have one of the, one of the essential components of being crisis ready is to define what issue versus crisis is for your organization, but then to identify your high risk scenarios, both high risk. So most likely high impact issues and most likely high impact crises to strike your brand. This is one of those. And the fact that it was an issue that was mismanaged is a huge, huge missed opportunity clearly that they're suffering from. And what I do like about Zuckerberg is that he is, I believe him to be sincere and authentic in his, in what he says. I do believe that he cares for the right reasons. I think that he's crisis ready in that sense, but he wasn't, or Facebook wasn't crisis ready enough to one mitigate this entire thing because they could have positioned themselves instead of it being a crisis, they could have been leaders in this, in this issue. Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Is it exponentially more difficult the bigger a company is like if you've got a company that you know has a market cap a hundred billion dollars they've got 50,000 employees they've got systems and processes for everything how much harder is it for an organization that has that kind of scale to be able to respond quickly to a crisis it's not it it's it's not harder it's a matter of how prepared were you so one of the one of the first things that I do when I work with any client is I sit down with head of legal. That is on my top three to do on my top three. Um, reason being that legal, for the majority, you know, of the cases, they're trained to see the legal risk right. and to mitigate liability for the organization. That is what they're trained in doing, and that is what their job is, and it's an important role. 
but what they, and I'm being very general here, but for the most part, they're not really in tuned with all of the rest of the risk that comes with today's realities in crisis, right? So the whole expectation and demand of forthcoming, transparent, timely, consistent communications, they'll see that as a risk, right? So, and, and to, in their defense, there is a necessity in balancing timeliness and accuracy. That's 100%. But so all of this to say that these conversations need to be had prior to Mm -hmm. and once, and I mean, I work with organizations that have, you know, I don't know, tens of thousands of employees around the world and billionaire owners of of billion dollar corporations, they're crisis ready and they have the stiffest, even in the financial industry. So I I work with hedge funds, for example, Mm -hmm. and they have the strictest of regulations when it comes to communication, but there is best practice. There is um, regulatory requirements and restrictions, legal requirements and restrictions. There are different nuances for different types of crisis scenarios. But if you take all of that and you also look at stakeholders and what they expect of the organization, what are investors going to expect? How are they going to expect those communications? How often? When? What are their key concerns and primary you know, demands that you're going to be faced with? You can take all of this data, this information and these... Um, you know, constraints and devise a crisis communication or crisis management strategy that will put you ahead still. So there's no excuse. Okay. So on the vein of financial services, there was a pretty big crisis last year surrounding Equifax, which is a credit reporting bureau. And they made the headlines when the data of almost 250 million people were compromised by a data hack. Now, as of last month, predictions are that this could be the costliest hack in corporate history. There's a lot of people still don't know that they were affected by it. And there are many more people who don't even know what a credit reporting bureau does. Is there a different standard of care for a company um, in this situation? What I mean by that is because people don't even know that they have a relationship with a credit reporting bureau, if that bureau were to get hacked and sensitive data about you was released and you didn't know about it, you'd be none the wiser. And some people would argue that um, Equifax, I don't know how they were judged and how they handled that response. I really haven't heard much about it. All I know is that there was a hack. I didn't really, I didn't really see the headlines saying, well, what are they doing about it? At least not as much as I would like to have seen. So are there different standards of care or duties of responsibility for these different companies? Or can they just sort of skate by when they operate in um, these relationships that customers may not even really be cognizant about? Yeah. Kind, of like, kind of like the Facebook thing, right? People don't really, didn't really know, but because Facebook is everywhere and pe- so many people use Facebook on a regular basis, it's more in their face. Most people don't know that they had a relationship with a credit reporting bureau. Yeah. The thing with Facebook is that people felt violated or feel violated um, due to a lack of awareness and education beforehand. And it's so immediate. The impact on them, the perceived impact maybe on them is very immediate. Whereas a lot of people with the credit union, uh, they're going to find out if and when their identity is is stolen. And now they're dealing with that, right? right. There's That's the risk there. Um, however... The fact that Equifax wasn't 
you know, you have to crisis readiness. You have to prevent the preventable and then be prepared for the unpreventable. Right. They didn't prevent the preventable. Right. And that to me, this was, they are a, an organization based on the collection of people's personally identifiable information. Like that is their business. That's their business. So if you were to ask them or ask anybody, what's their high risk scenario? Number one. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And the fact that they proved every step of the way in their communications and their managing management of the crisis to not understand that at all. They didn't understand anything. They just, it was really, really, it was really difficult to watch (laughs) happen. Um, because it was inexcusable. Your question though, but the thing too is that cybersecurity and when it comes to, you know, personally identifiable information as an example, there are laws and regulations around that. So it's not necessarily a higher standard because of the size of the organization. In this case, it's more of a higher standard because of their responsibility and the legal and regulatory requirements around it. So let's talk about the various ways that a poorly handled crisis can impact a brand. What are uh, the different aspects that uh, could cause some kind of loss, whether it be market capitalization, trust, goodwill? What what are those different aspects that a brand really needs to think about? Yeah, um, I would look at, so relationships are, every business is built on relationships, right? Crisis management is about people. It's about managing those relationships and coming out of a negative event. The goal is to come out of a negative event with even more trust built up because you've done the right things. You've And successful crisis management requires simultaneous effective management or you know actions in the following two things. One is the actions you take to actually manage the incident. And the second is the communication. You can do one of you know, either one of these things really, really well, but fail in the other and you will fail in your crisis management. So they require both. And that goes to how you're communicating and looking at every stakeholder. So regulatory agencies are a stakeholder group, um, investors, customers, employees, your board, uh, vendors, all of that. So if you want to look at, and reputation goes to bottom line. So uh, to give you a more direct answer to your question, impact on operations, right? Can your business function? So if you, cybersecurity, if you were locked out of your systems for a month, would your business, what would happen to your business? And then if you go down that route, well, why would that impact your business? What happens to those relationships, to those customers that you can no longer service or provide, you know, whatever you're providing them with? Um, So what happens to those relationships? How do you manage those relationships? What's the impact on the reputation overall? Uh, and then what, how does it hit the bottom line and how do you recover? Yeah. Does that answer? Yeah, no, that's what I was getting at. Um, now, when it comes to um, the response to other crises that we've seen, uh, I think I saw a video that you posted on your YouTube channel talking about um, a certain airline's response to customers. <laughs> I being wonder which off. one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think someone who um, wrote a, a quote for your book uh, was Dave Carroll, right? Yes. Who wrote the song United Breaks Guitars. Yes. He wrote me the, awesome, the most awesome <laughs> quote for the book. Where did United, where could they have improved in their handling of that crisis? Because there was a couple of incidents that happened kind of clustered together as well, which kind of compounded everything. Well, but the reason being is that they have, so one of the crisis ready rules is people above process and bottom line 
always. United has a cultural crisis because it is process and bottom line above people always. That is how they run their business. So how could that, I mean, the crisis wouldn't have, or the incident wouldn't have escalated to the point that it did or happened in the first place had people, so flight attendants, been empowered and rewarded for putting people above always. Instead, they stick to their very strict process and bottom line above everything else, and the situation escalated from there. So the situation shouldn't have happened in the first place. And because they have a cultural crisis, it happened. So that is the root cause of, of that incident. From there, actually, looking at the CRP, so the crisis response penalty, I like to do it as an equation sometimes um, for the immediate impact. I like equations. You came to the right <laughs> I place. I you might like this. Um, for the, to show the immediate impact on, finan- on monetary or immediate monetary impact. So United put out three responses in, within the span of 48 hours. All three of those responses were complete and utter failures. There, or maybe the first two were complete. I don't um, need to brush up on my facts, but maybe it was the first two that were com- no, 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 no. It was three, three complete <laughs> utter failures. And forty-eight hours after the event went viral, um, they came out with an actual adequate response, which is when they started to begin to regain control. Now, within those forty-eight hours, their market cap dropped by one point four billion dollars. Wow. That's a seven hundred million dollar a day mistake for miscommunication or non-effective crisis communication. So this would be a good way or a good time to plug your services because you'd be a bargain because I'm sure you don't charge $700 million a day. <laughs> yeah, I certainly don't. Um, <laughs> I'd definitely be a bargain. So if there but- are any brands listening right now, I strongly suggest you can uh, contact Melissa uh, because, I mean, that right there, I mean, when you quantify the damage to a brand for not having something like this in place, the return on investment of having you know, uh, your organization be crisis ready is pretty clear. Anyways, I cut you off. No, and I'll go to more to that. The reason that I'm so passionate about the work that I do is, and just the whole, you know, concept of implementing a crisis ready culture is that it far exceeds the benefits far exceed crisis management and crisis communicate or, you know, issue management far exceed. So because of the work that we do and how intricate, I get with clients, process is better, productivity is better, morale increases, team um, relationships between teams and, you know, cross-departmental increases. There's so many benefits to being crisis ready that far exceed when something negative happens. And in fact, you know, the whole building a brand, an invincible brand came from, well, came from several conversations with several people trying to figure out kind of what's the subtitle? How do I capture what I do and what this book provides to organizations? One of the things was um, sitting down and saying, and I will knock on wood every time that I say this, but my clients don't have crises. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they manage every single, they have the right mindset, the right lens through which to look at, at things. Their teams are empowered and rewarded for putting people first and every single minor hiccup. So in issue management, it can, you, it can go one of two ways. A mismanaged issue will chip away at your organization's trust and credibility over time. Or you can, if you manage an issue effectively and properly successfully, 
you will actually add goodwill into your bank of stakeholder trust and add credibility to the brand, which gives you when the big events happen. So when that catastrophic crisis were to occur, you have the benefit of the doubt and you have stakeholders who stand by you and support you and believe in you and actually are know that you're going to do the right thing and that you're going to manage effectively and communicate effectively. So they're not going to go to third parties and believe rumors. They're going to stand by you and wait for your actions that they, that they trust in. I have two more questions for you because we're going to get kicked out of this, uh, this room. I only booked it for two hours. And for those who are wondering, no, this has been two hours on the podcast yet. (laughs) We were chatting for a little bit before. Um, so the first one is going back to something I teased about in the intro, which is to talk about the difference between crisis readiness and crisis management. So you want to quickly explain the difference between that in case there are people out there saying, oh, what are you talking about? We've got a crisis management protocol or whatever. Absolutely. So the crisis readiness is really managing every single thing as it happens so that you don't have to manage the crisis. The crisis doesn't occur. Um, it also goes to having that team that instinctively instinctively knows how to identify a risk, how to assess it, and what to do to build brand credibility and trust with it in response to it. Whereas crisis management is damage control. There's a huge difference there. Facebook is in crisis management mode because they weren't crisis ready. Right, right. Okay, perfect. Um, And so now my last question, um, of course, crisis writing is, is important for every brand, as we've, we've talked about here, but that includes smaller brands, right? And um, even uh, today when we see more personal brands, so companies with total employee counts of one, this is all important for them to building an invincible brand because things happen, right? Yes. Stuff happens in life, in business and whatnot. Uh, what are what are the some of the tips that you would give to people who don't have you know staff or committees uh, looking at issues like this? What is your advice to individual entrepreneurs? Um, what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing so that they are more crisis ready? Aside from buying your book, yeah, um, <laughs> no, definitely, and it and it's relatively simple. So understand. No, I mentioned earlier your high-risk scenarios. Know what types of events that if they were to strike would impact your livelihood, mm-hmm. right? Would impact your business negatively long-term. Know what those events are. Understand also, so second thing is know your stakeholders. Know who matters to your business and focus on those relationships always, but also if, if say you have three real high risk scenarios, that if these three types of scenarios were to occur, your business, your livelihood would be impacted long-term potentially. If you look at scenario one and you say, okay, what would our customers expect of us? What would be their demands, their expectations, their key concerns? Um, you know, I'll answer all of these questions. What would be their primary questions? You can actually do that because when you have those three or whatever they are scenarios identified, you can put yourself in the mindset of your vendors, your customers, your um, the general public, regulators, whomever we're talking about. And so, okay, what would they expect of us? And how can we be in a position to meet those expectations, if not exceed them in real time? And that's an exercise. The smaller the organization, the easier it is to be crisis ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Excellent. Um, so, um, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And since apparently you are a, a listener of a few podcasts in the past, you know that at the end of every episode, the guest gets a two-minute commercial, however long you want to take. It can be less than two minutes, if you like, to sell something. And in this case, it's probably going to be your book. So, why don't you tell people uh, a little bit more about what they can expect in the book? Why should they buy the book? Okay. Um, so when I set out to write crisis ready, there was no way crisis management books exist by the dozens and they are boring even for me for the most part, (laughs) there are some really good ones out there, but for the most part, they're boring. I needed crisis ready to be the opposite of that. I'm so passionate about the work that I do and I wanted to give it all. So this book was written in a way that I hear excites people actually, which is really encouraging when you hear that from readers, um, that it excites and motivates, but it, I mean, everything from the experience, it's a two color print. It was designed for the entire organization. I take you through my entire crisis ready model, which is the precise framework that I use with clients. And I really in 63,000 words, give you every single piece of my process and how I look at things. And, and then I make it fun too. So there's games and quizzes and just like these and fun stories. Every chapter starts with a story to make it relatable. And I don't know if I'm making any sense right now, but I get all gaga when I talk about my book and it's a, it's, um, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. It's an easy read. Thank you. Um, and what I mean by that is, for example, there's a chapter after the interlude where you start with the story about the Samsung debacle and their Galaxy Note 7s, I think, that were bursting into flames and all this, to the point where airlines were saying, yeah, you can't travel with that in the cabin. (laughs) Um, And you use these case studies that are relatable to people, and you sort of dissect it with your model as to what they could have done differently and all this stuff, what they did wrong. And yeah, it's 63,000 words. It doesn't feel like it. Thank you. So so congratulations. It's a great book. I'm a big fan of yours. Um, I've seen some of your TED Talks. Um, and it just makes sense. You know, there's a lot of experts um, out there who say stuff, but it's sometimes not backed up with like substance. It just feels like it's feel good stuff. Your material, I think, is actually like it makes sense. And when you write stuff and uh, you follow up with you back it up, I really like that as opposed to the sort of, you know, just storytelling and high level 30,000 foot perspectives and stuff. So, so, um, great book. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast to talk more about it. And, um, that's it for this week. So, uh, my faithful listeners, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with my friend, Melissa. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast, uh, again, I would really appreciate you taking a few seconds to give it a rating on iTunes. And of course, I love reading your comments. So keep those coming as well. Until next time.